Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny welcomes author Allison Carmen as she returns to Sunny in Seattle with a brand new book, A Year Without Men. So tune in and hear how she turned a devastating divorce and an unexpected hit to her business into a guide to inspire and empower women. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy McMillan. We are here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW in Seattle, as well as 103.3 KPCA in Petaluma, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always find show archives at 1150kknw.com. You can also find the show on iTunes and Podcast One. And our quick disclaimer for the Petaluma folks that the views expressed here are not necessarily the views of Petaluma Community Access, KPCA Radio, or its board of directors, volunteer staff, or underwriters. And my website, just for housekeeping, is goldenoversoul.com. That is goldenoversoul.com. Um, Benny, I'm back on the road. I know. Uh, turn around quick. Now you can't turn around. Come back. Come back. <laughs> I know. I mean, I cannot tell you like what a just a, a blessing, a just such a like a homecoming it felt like to be back in the studio for two weeks with you it was really special yeah it was my our pleasure and you know you were welcome back anytime and for your further agenda adventures will continue though that's a good thing oh absolutely yes yeah. Uh, um yeah um seattle holds such a special place mm-hmm. in our heart and i don't think that we have felt that so viscerally um i mean how can you until you leave for a couple years and then come back and think um, okay, this is this is what we loved about Seattle. This is why it's such a special place. So exactly. anyway, good memories. Yeah. <laughs> Everything good with you, Benny? Peachy. Everything's good. Ship shape. Okay, well, awesome. Yeah. Well, on that note, I guess we'll go ahead and bring on our fantastic guest for today. Um, and I'm really excited to welcome back to the show, Allison Carmen. Um, I think I was doing the math this morning, and it has been five, a little over five years since she was last on the show um, with her book, The Gift of Maybe. Um, and so I'll just give you a little background here, her official bio. Um, Allison Carmen holds a BA in accounting, as well as a JD of law and a master's of law in taxation. Um, that was one of the first things. Anytime I see a former lawyer out there doing um, what, you know, healing work or more spiritually heart-centered work, I always get excited because I think, okay, I know how that feels. So anyway, uh, Allison and I share that in common. Um, she, um, after working for a a large law firm in Manhattan, Allison founded her own law firm and built a successful practice. After 15 years of practicing law, however, Allison transitioned her practice into business consulting, business coaching, and life coaching. Today, Allison's clients range from owners of multi-million dollar companies to artists, actors, writers, and parents. Allison is the author of The Gift of Maybe, which is all about helping people reduce their stress and worry in uncertain times. She is a blogger for Psychology Today, Huffington Post, and Mind Body Green. She's also a popular radio guest and has been featured on NPR, CBS, and various other shows. She even has her own podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, which focuses on different perspectives that people can embrace to reduce their stress, worry, and anxiety. She is also a speaker and has tens of thousands of followers on the social 
social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And so the latest book that she has just released uh, in 2021 is called A Year Without Men, a 12-point guide to inspire and empower women. Her website is allisoncarmen.com. That is allisoncarmen.com. Um, and Allison, welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. I'm so happy to be back. <laughs> We're so happy to have you. Um, I, you know, I've interviewed a lot of folks over the course of this radio show and your book, The Gift of Maybe, um, really, it was one of those things that I, I, I can't wait to have you share a little bit more about it because some of the folks listening today may not have heard the interview back then. Um, and it really made an impact on me. And so when I saw it just happened to come through my uh, Twitter feed that you had a new book out, I immediately looked it up. I read an article that you'd written um, that um, gave kind of like a sampling of what you could expect from the book. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've got to get Allison back on the show if she will come back to talk about this newest book. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm, I'm so happy to be back. And I have to tell you that the, I'm so happy how you felt about The Gift of Maybe because that book, you know, not only did it change my life at the time, it, it actually was the thing that held me through my husband leaving me about three years ago. It's funny how you write a book and you think it's for the world, but it's really for you, <laughs> you know? Yes, that was one of the things that stood out the most to me is, how much that book was a, a guide for getting through the uncertainty and the pain and the loss around um, your husband leaving. Um, and so I can't, I, I, I want to definitely have you, uh, I want to unpack that. Um, and, and, but the, one of the things I just want to preface, um, so the, the book we're discussing today, A Year Without Men, and of course this came about after your husband left and you also took a big uh, unexpected hit in your consulting business. And you kind of looked up a year later and you're like, wow, there have not, I have not had men in my personal or professional life. And you really made something meaningful. Um, but if someone hears the title, A Year Without Men, I just want to preface this. This is a quote from the book. To be clear, this is not a book set against men. It is a book about women developing without men, sometimes despite men, and sometimes beyond men. So, you know, just to set the tone, this is not going to be an hour bashing men. It is just, um, yeah, exactly how you articulated it so beautifully there. Yeah, it's so interesting how um, people have responded to the title. Um, because I never yeah. thought about that. It really was a year without men. And I did develop in a way that I couldn't in my marriage or I couldn't at other parts of my life. And it took for me not to have men to really see the places I compromised, the places I was put down, the places I wasn't empowered. But it's so funny how when people hear that title, you know, there's, there's a little charge behind it. I, I actually enjoy it because you see the plate, the things that bother people, I guess, here and there, but, yeah. um, but it really was an experience. And, and I think that, you know, women need to look at the places that they feel put down by society or put down in their relationships, but it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with men. It has to do with ourselves and how we show up every day in the world. So that was my experience. And the title actually has become a very interesting conversation. I didn't expect that. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's so funny. Um, yeah. Uh, um, I am curious. I mean, I guess let's back up a little bit here because um, this this whole year without men was kicked off um, on, I believe it was June 30th, 2018. Um, and so do you mind just sharing, you know, what happened, some background there about what kicked this whole thing off? 
Absolutely. If you would have, if we would have spoken on June 29th, 2018, I would have told you my life is in such a beautiful place. My daughters are thriving. I have two daughters, my business. I, I was doing very well in business and the gift of maybe and all my consulting clients. And I thought I was in this beautiful, happy marriage. Um, and then on June 30th, 2018, everything just fell apart. My husband came home from the gym and I was sitting at the, the counter eating and he came home and he was sitting at the other table and he just blurted out, you know, I, I'm leaving you. I, I want to have sex with other women. And I, I remember looking at him and I, I was like, are you joking? Like I, I, it was so out of the blue. And he said, no, I'm not joking. And he proceeded to tell me details of what he was thinking about and what he was interested in. And I just fell to the floor. And I remember feeling this crack in my heart. I, it, it probably was the most painful moment of my life. And I remember looking at the wall thinking if I could get there and bang my head against the wall, it, it would just feel better than this moment. And I, mm. I couldn't find my ground. It, it was, this was my stability. This was everything to me. And it's so funny that I always talk about certainty and I teach people about how to embrace uncertainty. And it's almost like the universe was looking at me and saying, this girl's done a lot of work on uncertainty, but I'm gonna blow up that one place that she finds comfort in that one place she finds dependable. And um, it was a very difficult year. And, and then that week I lost my biggest client who was one of the biggest people in the well-being industry. So, and I was with him for 25 years. So literally the two men who had the biggest role in my life were literally gone in a week. And then a week later, mm. I had another client that was an all woman day hospital. Uh, I got a call, the, the only man there left, and they wanted me to come in to be their chief financial officer, a job that I've never held before. And literally within two weeks, all the biggest men in my life were gone and the other male clients just fell away. And I was working for an all-woman company. My husband left. It was just a crazy time. But within that time, you know, as much as I felt that pain, I like I said before, I also really developed. I I was hiding places, I was compromising places, I wasn't fully empowered. I looked like I was on the outside, but I wasn't. And I really had to embrace the unknown and, and develop myself and empower myself and let go of a lot of shame. And it, it's been an incredible journey, a painful one, but coming out on the other side, I feel more whole as a human being. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like, this is one of the questions Maybe I should save this for the end. I don't know. I'll let you decide. Um, but one of the questions that I had was looking back. Um, and of course, this, so that happened, the, the announcement that changed your life from your husband was June 30th, 2018. This, the, the way that the book is structured, it is basically each chapter is devoted to the months that followed. And so, you, you know, of course, the rest of the summer and then into the fall and through the winter and the spring and then until you got to June 30th, 2019. When it had been a full 12 months. Now here we sit in 2021, this book has just come out. And I am curious, um, and again, if you want to save this for later in the show, but what did you learn that you could not have learned any other way um, from this experience? That is such a great question. I think I would have never fully developed myself as a human being. You know, I was doing all this work on myself, but when the going got rough, when I, when I found life harsh, when I was able to hide because I couldn't handle any things, I would go back to that marriage. I would hide behind it um, mm. in a way. And I think having to be out in the world constantly 
it, it kind of like exposes you, exposes every part of you. Yep, so yep. I, like I said, I, I think I've, I've become more of a whole human being. I, I think I've become more real, um, less judgmental because I see, you know, I was always someone that, that didn't like anger. You know, I was all like peace and love and I experienced anger on the deepest level. And so I'm, I'm just less judgmental, you know, with all the problems people have. And I see how pain comes and how pain goes. And it, it just made me more resilient, more strong, and, and most of all, more real, you know? And, yeah. and I think that realness enables me to help people more in a different way. And I'm very committed to um, female empowerment. I'm very committed to women in business. I, I just kind of see where we fall off where we feel put upon, where we feel put down. And I see another way to be and how to empower myself and, and other people. So I wouldn't have chose this experience. I still have pain in my heart, but I'm living a more full life now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the questions that I had as I was beginning the book, and of course that was, this is the point where um, you, uh, the, the, those two big male clients left um, because one sold the company and, and things just shifted in your business. And then you find yourself at the motherhood center. Um, and I'm curious if you can speak a little bit to the dynamics of what it was like. And it, also knowing you have a history in law in Manhattan and being a lawyer myself, I remember what it was like to be at a large firm. Yes, there were women present, but those dynamics of working with these big, figures, these male partners, these trial attorneys, at least for me, it, it, it was a very interesting dynamic. So I'm curious from where you sit, having been in big law firms as well, um, what was the dynamic like working at the Motherhood Center, which is like all female? Right. It's, it's an all female day hospital where everyone that works there is a female and all the patients are females because we're dealing with women who have postpartum depression, you know, before they give birth, during, during pregnancy, you know, post-pregnancy. Um, you know, what's so interesting is that, you know, the patriarchy, it, in my view, is a system that's set up where someone's on top and someone's on bottom. And right. it was created by men, but men and women both participate in it. And I was, I was in it too. I was always trying to be part of it. I was always trying to get along. Like I remember like being at all these companies or working at these clients. I've been on many boards and I always kind of felt left out in a way. Like, you know, the men would go out for beers afterwards, or sometimes when you speak, they roll their eyes. Sometimes they had an allegiance and alliance to, to each other. And I always found the dynamic a little difficult. Uh, like I was kind of like an outsider in a way. And, you know, but I, I'm not a baby. I would pull my big girl pants on. I'd go in, do the best I could. And the motherhood center was so different. It was the first time in my career that I didn't feel that way. It was the mm -hmm. first time that I felt like I was in a totally collaborative environment. And it's not that there are no problems because there, there are relationship dynamics and problems between women, between men, between men and women. So I don't wanna you know, create this utopian idea for anyone, but it was different because I wasn't being put down at all because I was a woman. Mm. What, how you saw me was because I was a human being. And it, it was so fascinating. Like, if you didn't like me, you just didn't like me. It wasn't because I reminded you of your mother or about your <laughs> ego or about your, you know what I'm saying? So it was like, yeah, it's just an unbelievable experience to stand without that issue behind you or with you. And it really enabled me to develop as a leader, uh, my, my business theories. And it really just is in an unbelievable environment. In fact, 
there's this one story I remember. I was at one of my first director's meetings and one of the women that was presenting started to cry. And any other environment, if you cried, you were weak. You were out. You didn't get it. You couldn't play, you know, in the big time. And nobody cared she was crying. And it's so interesting how tears and emotions are, are viewed in the workplace. But, you know, this woman was brilliant. She was presenting and she was having a moment. So there's also more of an acceptance of emotions. And, and that was really big, too. It, it's not your emotions that matter. It matters whether or not you put that behavior on someone else. And so in corporate America, women are always judged for their emotions, but really who cares? It's, are you behaving right? Are you doing your work? Are you being kind to everyone else? If you shed a couple of tears or say you're stressed, who gives a, you know? So it it really enabled Mm -hmm. me to be in the business world and be very real. And I like that. And and we've been very successful since I've been there. We've become a multi-million dollar revenue company and it's very empowering. And so it just made me see the patriarchy and how not every business environment has to be like that. You could be collaborative, you could be respectful, you could be kind and you could still be profitable. Yeah, that was, I wanted to make sure you put that point in there because I love that because the, the, the person whose position you came in and replaced was a man, I guess the only man in the business. And in the year that you were there, um, the, as you write, the Motherhood Center is now a company with multi-millions of dollars of revenue. In one year without men, we were able to turn the business from losing money to being more than profitable. So let's see, that's a little, that's a feather in your cap for sure. Absolutely. And not in a, in that structure where someone's on top, someone's on bottom, someone feels bad about who they are because of they're a woman or their voice is not respected. And look, it's not easy to be in an environment where you're committed to collaboration. You know, sometimes your meetings are a little longer and, but people feel so different when they're respected and they're allowed to be who they are. And and of course you have to have boundaries, but it's such an amazing business because it's the first time in my life that I feel, I feel equal really. Uh, So it's fascinating to me. The other thing I just want to point out before I kind of move on, because I want to, I want to talk about the maybe mindset and how that played in. But one of the other things from the motherhood center, and I forget, I should have pulled this as a quote, but you have, there's a philosophy there. And it's like, if your life doesn't work, then you don't like your work suffers or something to that effect. It's much catchier than what I just said, but, but but it's true. It's people don't realize that if someone's working for you and their life is out of control and they don't have work-life balance and their relationship are disintegrating because of their commitment to work, you're not getting the best out of them. You know, it, it, it can't just be about productivity. You are not getting their best creative self. And so as companies, companies need to start looking at this, especially, you know, you could see the pandemic, how people's mental health has declined and they feel overly stressed. This has to be a part of work. Work-life balance is so important. If you really want to get long-time committed employees and people who do their best work, it's, it's not true. I, it, you know, how corporate America sees their employees, it's backwards. And, and so I right. think also giving equity to women and caring about their lives and carrying the flexibility and also men too. At, at some point, every man is going to have a sick parent or a problem. We all want a more equitable workplace for many reasons. And I think that is one of the biggest dysfunctions in our company today is how corporate America treats the people that, that work for them. And I think that 
they, they equate it with profit, but it's not true. Get a bunch of happy workers with work-life balance who are committed to the company. And I say you end up more profitable, more innovative, and end up in a better place at the end. And I think yeah. it's, it's one of the most important things that, that people are missing. Yeah. And the motherhood center is, is living proof and evidence that it can happen. So that's awesome, Allison. Well, let's do talk a little bit about um, the gift of maybe and the maybe mindset. Um, and I, after, and as I mentioned at the beginning, that the gift of maybe really made an impact on me and, and that, that parable that I hope you will share about the inspiration and how that changed your life when you first started. I have repeated that to so many clients, to so many people, <laughs> recommended your book to kind of, you know, flesh it out even more. But yeah, what, can we just give a little bit of background on the whole maybe mindset um, so we can talk about how that influenced this year of your life? Absolutely. Um, you know, I always say that for most of my life, <clears throat> I was addicted to certainty. If I didn't know what was going to happen in my life, I projected things were going to be bad or they weren't going to work out. And I think a lot of us have this addiction to certainty. And, and even the pandemic has brought up so much about, you know, our need to know, our need to know what's going to happen next, you know, and the great philosopher Krishnamurti once said, you know why I'm happy? I'm happy because I don't mind what happens. And you look at that, you're like, oh, that would be, I would be happy if I didn't mind, but then we have a mortgage, we have children, we have husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, you know, we, we care about the things in our lives. And so that's why we get addicted to certainty because we want to know we're okay. Ultimately, we're afraid we're not okay. And we're afraid that the future is going to bring something bad and take away the things that we love. And it's very understandable. And, you know, now looking back, you know, I have a much more sophisticated understanding of of uncertainty and maybe and it's funny you know you write a book and then you understand it more after you write it um, <laughs> yeah but for me you know I was just this this relationship with uncertainty was killing me and I kept trying to make my life better I kept trying to create a story where I thought everything would be okay and so my grand story at the time was I was going to become a lawyer I was going to get a great job at a large law firm marry this great guy and then I was going to be okay and I actually, because I, I'm so tenacious, I did all those things that I remember walking to work the first day saying, I've arrived. And two days after I started working at that large law firm, they let everyone know they were firing half the first years. And I was the first year. And they didn't end up firing me. And they fired some of my colleagues and friends. But it didn't matter. It was like, you base your whole life on achieving something for certainty. And then you see you have no certainty. And it was just that moment that I totally fell apart and it affected yeah. my immune system and my relationships and my health. And I was just spinning out of control. And then I started to, I just kept trying to change my life on the outside. So I left the law firm, started my own law firm, all these things. And then I just kept falling apart within. And, and then one day I went to my Qigong teacher and he told me the story and that was the story you're referring to. And it's about a farmer and the farmer has a horse and the horse runs away. And his neighbor comes by and says, you have the worst luck. And the farmer's like, maybe. But the next day, the farmer's horse comes back with five mares. And the neighbor comes by to the farmer and says, you have the best luck. And the farmer says, maybe. But the next day, um, the farmer's son is on the horse. He falls off and breaks his leg. And the neighbor comes by and says to the farmer, you have the worst luck. And the farmer says, maybe. But the next day, the army comes to take the son to war, but they can't take him because his leg is broken. So the neighbor comes by to the farmer and says, you have the best luck. And the farmer says, maybe. And in the Taoist tradition, it really means things are neither good or bad. But for me, 
maybe because I'm from the West and I'm a hope junkie, I don't know. I actually felt this pop in my chest because every time something bad happened, I never imagined it could it could lead to another possibility or things could still be okay. I never imagined that five mares would come back into my life. And so I just started to play with this idea of maybe if I had a thought, oh, I don't have enough clients, I would say to myself, well, maybe that thought's not true and maybe things will change. Or my mom's not well, she's going to die. Like, well, maybe, you know, she can get better. So it was like this, this train of a thought that literally always brought me from the worst case scenario to a place of openness, a place of hope, a place where uncertainty offered me not just fear, but offered me things I wanted, things I dreamed of, and other possibilities than my worst fear. So it it was life-changing. And then it just kept growing. It made me more present. It made me more hopeful. And I developed this huge theory. And I wrote this book called The Gift of Maybe. And I was like, I got this. I am a maybe queen. I teach <laughs> it. I go out. I do everything with it. And people would interview me. And the book was selling great. And then my husband left. And I, I'm sorry to tell such a long story, but then he like, it, it destroyed me and all these fears of uncertainty. How will I live? How will my girls be okay? I really thought it was the end of my life. And two days in, I'm crying, I'm screaming, I'm not functioning and I hadn't slept. And I noticed the book is always by my bedside, the gift of maybe no other book. That's just the only book. And I grabbed the book and I went into the bathroom. And I am crying, crying, and I open the book. The book, I, of course, I'm reading. <laughs> the irony of that, I'm reading the book that I wrote. And on page six, I notice I listed my biggest fears. And one of my biggest fears was, would my husband always love me? Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at this, and I don't even remember putting that in the book. Because I remember being very happy in my marriage. I don't know if I put it in, an editor put it in, I, I don't remember. But I'm looking at the book, and I'm like, okay, if my biggest fear is in there. Would my husband always love me? Then I have maybe because here I am and he doesn't anymore. He doesn't want to be with me, but it's in the gift of maybe. And I started to do the exercise that I have in the first chapter and I'm crying. What's my biggest fear? My biggest fear is that my husband, and I won't work it out. And we won't be together. My biggest fear is that I can't go on. My biggest fear is my children won't be okay. And then I asked myself, are you absolutely certain? And even in that moment, When I couldn't breathe and I thought my life was over, I was not absolutely certain that I couldn't have a life after that. And I didn't fully embrace maybe in that moment, but I started to do maybe statements. Maybe I can live through this and maybe my husband and I will stay together and maybe my kids will be okay. And maybe I'll never be as happy, but I could still live a certain life. And I just started from that point. And eventually maybe it was one of the practices that brought me back because I realized that uncertainty is my best friend. If I don't like what's going on in my life today, then maybe tomorrow will offer me something better. It holds you. It holds you. It brings you from your biggest fear, even if you still have it, and it opens you up to more possibilities. You could never know. We want to know because we're afraid we're not okay. And when we live in maybe, we realize there are many ways to be okay. And so, again, this idea of maybe held me, saved me, supported me, and I am more committed than ever before to the life of maybe and committing to that philosophy with that. Yeah. I, and I, I just loved that moment in the book and I'm so glad you shared that story. Um, just, I was shaking my head and it's one of those synchronicities, you know, this was the guide that was that you wrote for yourself. Yes. <laughs> so, and, and that statement, you just, maybe everything will be okay. Maybe everything will yeah. be okay. 
Um, yeah, and so I just I invite anyone else out there um, that that these may be statements. I have used them myself. Clearly, they they work <laughs> because Allison gets to use it and practice it, live it to give it in her own life. Absolutely, absolutely. And it sounds so simple. I don't mean to interrupt. It sounds so no. simple, like this little word. Like what? It is so profound. And I just ask everyone, try it. Just try it. Like when you're in this moment where you are so stressed and you are so worried and you are so sure you are doomed. You are so sure you won't get out of what you're, what, you know, you're in, or you can't imagine life being different and offer yourself that it's just like a little, it's a little breath. It's a little opening. It's a little hope. It is so deep and sacred. Um, I, I don't know why that word, it, it, it's almost magical. You know, they have these words in other languages like OM and all these Sanskrit, all these deep things maybe is for, I believe, a magical word in the English language. And, and so I just ask that people try it because, you know, we already live in the maybe not, right? We already live in this place <laughs> where negativity fills us up, where we think life could be different. And we forget that there's magic, there's hope. You know, despair, I always say, is really an addiction to certainty. Despair is the easy way out to say, well, the past looks like crap. Today looks like crap. That means tomorrow can never get better. It's just easy. The warrior way is being hopeful. Where people get caught is they attach with their hope. I hope this thing will happen. Oh, okay, but there are many ways that you could be okay. So maybe allows us to take the warrior route. It allows us to be hopeful and realize that just because we don't like the way today looks, tomorrow could be different. Even through this pandemic, we don't know, even about the environment, there, there's still hope. And so if we could find the strength within us to not get attached to our hope and look at the future in this open way and say, many ways to be okay, I don't need to attach, I just need to know life has maybe, it's a game changer. So I just ask people to not poo-poo it and try it because again, it, it, if you can live in this expansive mode, life really changes. Yes. And the other part of the book, uh, this is not only... It, each month, you share more about your journey through that year that followed your husband's um, leaving. Um, but the, you also uh, uh, relate this to how women can thrive, not just in their personal lives, but in their professional lives. And so since we're talking about having a different relationship with uncertainty and embracing a maybe mindset, um, how, how is changing the system for women and, and in our workplaces related to uncertainty and a maybe mindset? I'm very happy you asked that question. I think what happens is that, you know, women, you know, we've been graduating college probably the same rate as men since 1991, but we get paid less. We have less C-suite positions. We have less managerial, managerial positions. We still have not been able to kind of get that equity in the workplace. And, and for many reasons, one, misogyny, the patriarchy, childcare, there, there are so many reasons. So what happens is that our path isn't as clear. It's just not. And there are gonna be more twists and turns. There are gonna be more challenges at work. There are gonna be more bumps. And if you are addicted to certainty, you are always gonna choose the most reliable, quote unquote, the reliable path right? Mm -hmm. And what happens is it, we end up compromising ourselves and we end up trying to work in a system that's not totally welcoming us. And even though you think you're going to get ahead at the end of the day, from my experience and the experience of all the people I work with, if you are addicted to certainty and you don't make unusual, innovative, creative decisions for yourself, and you just follow the path that's given to you, you end up at the short end of the stick. And so women need 
to cultivate a great relationship with uncertainty so they're not afraid to speak up at work. So they're not afraid to start businesses. So they're not afraid to do things differently because the road that's been given to us is not quite working. And so if you're afraid of uncertainty, you're never going to take those steps. So if women could not be afraid of what they don't know, they're going to be more authentic about who they are and have more faith in making changes. So men and women, in my experience, fear uncertainty the same way in business and in their personal lives, just as much equally, but it affects women more in the business world because we are tasked with making changes. And when you fear uncertainty, you don't make them. Uh, yeah, that makes so much sense. And I really did. I, I, it, I would never have put these connections together, but I really just want to say again, how much I enjoyed how you wove in um, the, the, the professional or system aspects of um, how your journey <laughs> gave you some insight in how women can change how they approach business work and things outside even of their profession, their personal lives. So anyway, um, thank you for including that in here as well. Yeah, yeah. And also, I, I don't want to put the burden on women, you know, because corporations need to change, right? Yeah. And corporate America needs to change and there needs to be equity. But, you know, you get to a point where you fight for those equalities, you fight for that equity. But at the same time, we have to change too, because we can't wait for somebody to change for us to be empowered, for us to start a business, for us to demand to get paid more, for us to demand equal, you know, benefits or, you know, childcare that works for everyone. So I don't want to feel that I'm, you know, putting it on women. It's just, we're in this situation and we all deserve equity. And also, you know, these theories that I put forth, they're good for men too. Who wants to live in a world where there's no equity and who wants to live in a world where there's no work-life balance and, and men also, you know, they, like I said, they have the same fears of uncertainty. It's just how it, uh, the dynamics of how it kind of shows up in, in the workplace that that's really fascinating. Yes. Uh, well, I want to switch gears a little bit. I mean, not really, but I just want to turn to there's, as you're moving through your progression from June into July and August, and as you get into the fall in October, you had this opportunity where you got to explore beauty uh, in a new way. And, and I love that you shared this story about Pratima. I actually use her skincare products. <laughs> so this idea of believing in our own beauty and how, what you learned about beauty, because it, it's something that I will take with me here, um, this definition that you found and how you started applying it. So I'll just let you take it from there about beauty and how that changed for you. Okay. Well, well, the backstory of that is I actually had a guy friend call me up and he said to me, you know, go work out and look great. And that's like the best revenge you could put on your, your ex-husband. And I'm thinking to myself, really? That, that's how I'm going to get revenge on my husband is it's <laughs> looking good. And, but you know, you're so vulnerable at that moment. Like you, you'll do anything. You'll do anything to feel better. So yeah. because you know, I'm so committed to organic, I joke that uh, I was going to commit holistic revenge against <laughs> my ex-husband. And I go to Pratima Spa and I'm going to get this consultation and, and she's going to make my skin look great and I'm going to feel great. And of course, I meet Pratima, who is this fabulous, beautiful woman. And it turns out she's this grand healer. So I'm there talk, trying to talk to her about my, my skin. And within three <laughs> seconds, I'm hysterically crying, telling her about my husband. And she's so deep. And, and I didn't get really moisture. I got moisturizer that day. But when 
<laughs> I was like a very deep woman about talking about her own life and her own pain and, and the path forward. And, and at the same time, you know, she gave me her book, Absolute Beauty. So I go home and I'm, you know, I do put the moisturizer on my face and I'm reading this book. And all of a sudden I, I see that the definition of beauty in the Webster's Dictionary is that what, that what gives pleasure to your senses. And it was one of those moments. I was like, what? I was like, beauty, you know, for, because for my whole life, it was about plucking my eyebrows, looking good. I, I very insecure about my looks, very, you know, when I walk into a room, just overly self-conscious and, and my husband left me for a younger woman who's 34. I mean, I could tell the story from today till tomorrow. And I never thought to myself, you know, you always hear people say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You hear all these things and you're like, that's nonsense. But the di- maybe because it was in the dictionary, I don't know. <laughs> But it was, it was so profound. Beauty is what gives me pleasure. And so I started to play around with that idea. And then I remember I went for a walk. And as I was walking, this woman was coming towards me and she was very blonde and tan and thin and young. And I saw my mind started to start to click. Oh, I'm supposed to look like that. I have to look like that. I will never meet a guy if I don't look like that. And I just stopped myself. And I said, beauty is what gives pleasure to my senses. And I looked at this woman, I felt nothing and nothing against her. Maybe my husband would have thought she was beautiful or my brother, but for me, that wasn't beauty. And immediately I start to switch. I start to look at the flowers and the trees and it filled my heart up. And I was able to connect with what was really beautiful. And it just has switched my mindset. And I I am not saying that I don't still struggle with it, but I'm always able to pivot. Because every time I start to feel bad or I start to feel insecure, I pivot. I'm like, wait a second, what is beauty? What feels good? What feels right? And it just brings me back to me. It is such an amazing shift and it is so deep. It it has changed my life. And even if like I'll walk into a room, like if I'll go into a meeting, I remember that the first thing when I used to walk into a meeting, especially when there were all men there, I was always self-conscious. And even if that self-consciousness exists, I bring it back. I remember beauty is what gives me pleasure. And what gives me pleasure when I enter into a room is being connected to people, is finding out how they are, is laughing. And I'll immediately shift gears and I'll feel this relaxation in my body and I'll feel whole and I'll feel okay. And I'll focus on what is meaningful to me. You know, I guess it equates to what is meaningful to you in your life and how much more time am I going to waste on this standard that doesn't even mean anything to me. So do I do still struggle with it? I do, but not the same. And I feel every day I get stronger and stronger. And for me, it's been a, a huge shift in my life. Yeah, I like that shift too. I'd never really given much thought to that cliche that beauty is beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But when you put it in black and white terms from the dictionary, I was like, wow, for the first time, ah, back on me. Yeah, <laughs> so. and, if you, and if you look at like, you know, all the statistics and like, I think only 5% of women feel okay about their bodies. And then when you look about, mm. you know, how they airbrush and they change all the advertisements and you look at how we, we are being taught a, a million times a day, not to love ourselves. Yeah. And, and all we end up doing is not having the life that we want. And so I've come down to a point that the more I'm myself, the more whole I feel, the more I love myself. And, you know, look, I, I was in this marriage for a long time. And maybe I was trying to be someone I was not, I don't know, but it, it, you can't hold on to something that's not real anyhow. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? It's like, you think you're going to hold on to it because you look a certain way, but if someone's not connecting to you on a deeper level, it, it's going to escape you at some point. 
And so we, why hold on to things that are not real? We think we're getting ahead, but again, we think we're playing the system, but the system's playing us. And, and that's what mm. I saw in my own marriage. Like I was being played in, in a way, you know, the only way I'm going to have a powerful life is if I'm me, I'm the authentic me. And that's the only way I'm going to hold on to anything. So it's definitely some, it, it's very deep and very profound. And um, the shift is, is really every day I work on that. Yeah. And then at, at a certain point during the year, um, this is now we're moving on um, more into winter time. And, and for you, December and January were really fused or joined together. And you think, okay, so you've already dealt with a lot this year, uh, obviously huge change uh, when your husband stepped away, uh, huge change when you are finding yourself at the motherhood center and surrounded by um, mostly females in the workplace or all females in the workplace and you get yeah, shifts in your business shifts in your personal life. And then you had on top of it all a health scare. Um, but it really seemed to change your thoughts or relationship with suffering. Um, so I'm wondering if you could speak to that a little bit and how you handled that this on top of everything else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it was so profound because, you know, suffering could take over. It, it's, it's when there's something in our lives that's so painful, it, it becomes our whole life. And we don't realize that, you know, suffering is always going to come and go in our lives. And at the same time, there are blessings and there are joy and joys and, and we miss it because we're waiting for that moment where everything is just okay. And I don't think life is that. And so for me, yeah, the fact that I had a breast scare in, in the middle of the fact that I thought I had breast cancer in the middle of this year was like, almost unbelievable. I had never had like an operation before. The only time I was in the hospital before was when I gave birth to my girls. It was so, pro it was so deep that I remember when I went to, to sign in the day to, to go to the hospital, they, they said to me, um, is your emergency number? And they gave my, my, my ex-husband's number. And because I had given birth the last time I was at that hospital is when I gave birth to my daughter, like 19 years earlier. Yeah. Um, but what happened is that, so I went through scans I had to get operated on. And I remember the day I went to, to the office to see whether or not I had breast cancer, I was sitting there and I was so worried. I was thinking about what was going to happen with my life. And I was so sunk by this. I, I couldn't see anything other than this fear that I was sick. And this woman, they, that they was sitting next to me and she was in a wheelchair and all of a sudden I noticed her and, and she had lost a lot of her hair and she couldn't walk and she was bloated. And I just was looking at her and I was like, I felt well at that moment. She just reminded me that there were so many other things happening in my life in that moment, other than possibly being sick, other than, than breast cancer. And, you know, when Victor Frankl has this beautiful quote, and I, I don't, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but he says, suffering is like gas. It, it just kind of fills up your tank, whether it's big or small. And, and I think that's fair to know, like whether your suffering is big or small, it could fill you up. And you have to allow your feelings. You have to allow that moment. But after a while, you have to kind of have a different perspective and you have to kind of open the window and allow other things in. And in that moment, I just started to count my blessings and do my gratitude practice. And it was this recognition that, yes, I might be sick, but I have these two beautiful daughters and I still have this moment and I still have this life ahead of me. And it, you know, it turns out I didn't have breast cancer, but it was such a shift. And now when something happens in my life, even if it's overwhelming, I allow my feelings, but after a while I try to find its rightful place. 
meaning mm-hmm. that I don't let one thing sink me. And, and like, I imagine like, you know, you're, you're treading water and this thing comes and you could go underwater, but if you do, then you lose everything else. And so I think it's really important that we're always looking at our entire life, even when we're in pain, because if we don't do that, our pain will sink us. And then eventually will we become that pain and that beca- pain will be our lives. So it was a very profound moment for me, profound experience. And looking back, I cannot believe I had that experience in the midst of everything else. But of course, right? When you're, when you're going through this scorched earth experience, everything sometimes <laughs> seems to happen at once. Yeah, scorched earth is a really, really good way to put that. <laughs> yeah, well, so you did make it through that. Um, and fortunately, it did end up being breast cancer. But it sounds like one of the things that you say a lot in the book is that you really these experiences, you learned your lessons from them. And so you changed your relationship with suffering at that point. And so we move on through the next few months. And, and at some point you end up in May. And I love the story that you share in here. And it's also, it's one of those little nuggets that I'm going to take this, this idea of, well, so you, you'd been telling a lot of people, you know, sometimes it would be in the supermarket checkout line or the doctor's office. A lot of people you would tell because you were in so much pain about what had happened to you. But there was a moment when you realized it was time to stop telling and retelling the story of what had happened. And there's the, the idea of a doorway. And so I'm hoping you could tell us a little bit about that because it's such a moment of hope. And it's one of those things that, you know, like you use with your clients, this idea of doorways, how that can really change how we move forward yeah yeah what, what, you know it is funny if, no matter who I met within five minutes I would say my husband left me and it, it's funny yeah. I was at a party a few months ago and I, I still say that it, it's so interesting like I don't say it the same way but I haven't yet been able to tell the story without without saying it that way it's almost like <laughs> I cannot it's almost like in order for me to have dignity, I cannot say I participated in it. it, it it's very traffic. My friends laugh at me now about that. But, um, but yeah, I got to a point that I realized that, you know, I think we talked about this before we got on air about I had these expectations for my life. Yeah. And I realized at some point that if I didn't stop telling the story of how my life should have been, it was, again, it was going to sink me. I was going to get lost in the life I should have had, the, the long marriage, the retirement, the grandkids together. And, you know, you can get really attached to what you thought you were going to have. And then you live a life of resentment and anger and bitterness. And the most beautiful thing could happen in your life and you won't even see it coming. And yeah. so that expectation at some point, I, saw to myself, I said to myself, if you don't find a way to let this go, if you don't find a way to move on, this is going to be the rest of your life. And you are, you are not going to be able to create new, beautiful, gorgeous things. And even, you know, sometimes, you know, the life you had would have been your first choice, but if you're here and there's still breath and there's still, maybe there's still often a life worth living. I think that's where people also get caught. It's that they can lose something and they're like, well, that's what I wanted. Okay. But that's not where you are. And so what's left and it doesn't have to be better it just has to be something there's, you know, there's still beauty, there's still grace, there's still sacredness, even when it's not perfect, even when it's not exactly what we thought we desired. And if we could be in that place, I often find we, we get very, a lot of surprises, things mm-hmm. that we thought were impossible or that we, you know, we think we wouldn't have liked. So, yeah, so I kept trying to develop these mechanisms of how to let go and how to begin again. And 
I was reading uh, Mark Nepo's book and he has this great story in his book about this man coming to a door and he, he wants to paint his bedroom red and he's holding paintbrushes and buckets and, and red paint and cloths and he's trying to open his door and he keeps trying to open it, but his hands are so full and eventually he falls back and he gets red paint all over him. And Mark Nepo talks about how the fact sometimes you need to put down what you're carrying to enter new, to enter the moment new. And so what I did is, because there were doorways everywhere, I used that as a mechanism when I was trying to heal, that I tried to enter every moment new. And sometimes I would put down my rage, my anger, my hurt to go into a meeting or to spend some time with my daughter. And you know what's so interesting is when you put something down, Sometimes you pick it back up and sometimes you don't. So for me, that's mm. how I, I started to experience the moment more. I would be entering the door and I'd be like, okay, you know, you're raging over your ex all night and now you have to go to a meeting. Can you put that down? And I was able to put it down because I was like, well, I want to be present for that person and I want to do a good job. So even because I wanted to serve someone else, I put it down and I would have a, an hour of bliss or an hour of working or an hour of this and that, that those spaces allow you to see, oh my God, I, I can live without this. I could create something. And sometimes I'd pick the whole story up when I was done with my meeting. But over mm -hmm. time, you see that sometimes you put something down. You're like, I don't need to hold that anymore. That's why that's so beautiful. If you're asking yourself to momentarily put something down. I looked at the doorway as just a question. Can I put this down for a minute, five minutes, 10 minutes? And when you see you're still breathing without the story, you're living without the story, you're functioning without the story, sometimes you don't want to hold that pain anymore. So it's just a great exercise to separate ourselves out from the story and allow ourselves to have experiences without it. Very healing. Yes, that's why I loved that so much is because we can all relate to getting to a door and you don't want to take the time to put things down and make two trips or, right. or make it a longer process. And yeah. we've all had the experience of everything becoming a disaster because you didn't put things down. And I, I just love that. That's a story that will stick with me and how Mark puts it, you know, his friend got red paint all over him, but um, these doorways, any doorway, I think the way that you talk about it in the book is we come to so many doors during the course Every of a human day. day, your front door, your car door, whatever. This yeah. is a really beautiful opportunity to um, ask ourselves if we want to carry uh, what we're carrying through that doorway. Yeah. And again, so simple, but yeah. The simplest things are the most profound. You know, sometimes yeah. I like to like, oh, wow, like it would be really nice to use these big words and, and, you know, and have these elaborate stories. But it's usually the simplest things in life that gives us the most relief. And, Absolutely. and so that's what I find. I've been so humbled by the things that help me, the maybe, the doors. It's simple. It's easy. But I think we make life more complicated than it's supposed to be. And, you know, presence and the moment, it's, it's really the simplest thing to do because we're just letting go and being who we truly are. So again, I hope people try it. Sounds simple. It is, but so deep, so sacred. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, when, when your husband made the announcement, it was June 30th, 2018, then one year to the day your husband changed his marital status or not what, well, you happen to check Facebook on one year to the day. And, and you write at this, this point in the book, when you're kind of coming to the, almost to the end of this first year, um, you know, I wanted to end this book with the story of how I have moved on and how life is great, but things are messier than that. 
what I can say is that in the 12th month of my year without men, I am making sure that I learn my lessons. I don't want to get stuck in the version of the story of what happened that has me feeling wronged and in a permanent puddle on the floor. I had so many expectations for my life and my family. I wanted us to last forever as we started, but now expectation is the place I can get stuck. And so I'm curious, here we sit now even uh, a couple of years out from that time, um, you know, where are you now, uh, Allison, and, and, and um, uh, what do you foresee for the future now? Oh, that's such a beautiful uh, question. Where am I now? I'm... You know, it's funny. I also just became an empty nester. So it's so interesting that, yeah, that I finally, you know, just signed a permanent, you know, separation agreement, uh, empty nester. You know, I'm free. I'm free. But freedom doesn't mean you don't have pain. Like I still have, like I said, I still have pain in my heart, but I'm free. I'm, I'm in this place where I am allowing the unknown to hold me. I feel empowered. I feel comfortable when I walk into a room. I have so much more love for myself. I see that I used to live with a a level of shame, which I think most women do. The outside world, you know, was the barometer for who I was, how I was valued. And I I feel like I'm just in this place of of more in my power. And and at the same time, um, more dignity, more grace, but so much humility. And um, yeah, just, it's just a different life experience. You know, it's funny. I probably wouldn't, still to this day, I wouldn't have chosen it. Family was everything to me, but you know, you live with what life gives you and you have to make the best of it. And so family, I read, I've redefined it. I've redefined everything. And so, like I said, it's a much more sacred life and a much more meaningful life. And I feel more whole as a human being. Yeah. And, and you just said something a moment ago, you know, you have to make the best of it. And I'm like, you know, I see people who aren't making the best of what life has handed them that they would not have chosen. And so I really, I'm, I, uh, I think maybe writers, this is something that they do easier than, than the rest of the folks, but you turned this experience into something that is going to help thousands upon thousands of people with this hand, with this book in their hand. Um, so yeah, I, I, um, not everybody chooses to make the best of it and you have, and now this beautiful gift of a book is what you have to show for it. In addition to everything else that you were bringing to your life. Well, thank you so much for, for saying that. And I think because it's hard. It's really yeah. hard. I was so blessed all year, even though this this horrible thing was happening, blessings kept coming in my life. And I was held in a way. And, and really, that's the hope for the book that it helps somebody else. And it's not just about a breakup. It's about a young woman, you know, who's having trouble at her job. It, it's about a middle aged woman. It's about an older woman. It's for any woman. And, yeah. and I get it. It's so hard sometimes to make the best of it, but there's so much more that, like I said, there's so many ways to be okay. And I just want women to kind of figure out a way to kind of get their power back and make the most of their lives. But I so respect and understand those low moments and the challenges. And so it was really hard. People always correct me. They're like, it's not hard. It was challenging. I don't know what it was, but, um, but the book I said is a hope and it's a sharing. And that's the only reason I wrote it. I said to myself, if I got through this year and I have to help someone else do the same with, with whatever yes. they're feeling in their life. Absolutely. And you've done it beautifully. Um, and so here we are at the end of our hour. Um, Allison, thank you so much for coming back on Sunny in Seattle. Um, I have been speaking today with Allison Carmen. Uh, she is the author of not only The Gift of Maybe, but also the book we've been 
been discussing a year without men. Her website is alisoncarmen.com. That is alisoncarmen.com. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. And this is Sunny Joy signing off. We'll see you next week.